When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. We are now up to episode 42, and if you haven't guessed it by now, my name's Sean Barker. (laughs) And of course, I'm Sam Davis, and thank you once again for tuning in, whether it's via Audio Boom, iTunes, or YouTube. We love you all, and with all that's been going on, I gather this uh, podcast is going to be quite a busy one, eh, Sean? It's going to be busy, and it's going to be full of excitement. So here's what's coming up on this week's show. Now, the excitement has mostly come because we've literally just switched off the TV, having watched the match at Anfield. So shortly, we're going to be giving you our on-the-spot post-match reaction to the game as the Cherries pulled out a 2-2 draw against Liverpool. But whilst we try and make sense out of our hieroglyphic-style notes from tonight, we'll first catch up with the weekend Saints game. Yeah, indeed we will. And as you may have seen from our Twitter stream, we collaborated last Thursday with the Ugly Inside Southampton YouTube channel. Uh, Now, since then, I've watched some post-match opinion from both Bournemouth and Saints fans after that 0-0 draw. So after Michael's match report, we'll hear the views from both sides, taking in the opinion from some of the -the back-of-the-net regulars along the way. Plus, Sean and I will have our say too, but we'll keep it brief because we know you'll want to be hearing about tonight instead, eh? all I want to be talking about so after the Saints thing we'll get our teeth stuck into tonight's game maybe if we were quick enough getting the show out you might even be on your way back from Liverpool and you can relive it all so as Michael didn't have enough time to pen his post-match pros in the well probably minute and a half turnaround time we gave him come on Michael Sam steps up this week with a brief match synopsis before we'll then go into all the details of the glorious draw at Anfield but before that, it's time to get your thinking caps on in another Do You Remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? Now, before this season began, who honestly would have thought that we'd be travelling up to Liverpool on a Wednesday night to secure a Premier League double? Well, with a fantastic two-all draw tonight, we thought it's time to celebrate. Now, we haven't had time to get the clips 
from tonight's game. But as part of Do You Remember This Week, whilst we slip in another chance to remember that 4-3 game earlier in the season at Dean Court, you'll also need to get your thinking caps on. Because at the end, there's a little Bournemouth-Liverpool-related brain teaser, which might well leave you scratching your head. So, come on, let's play it again. Even listening to that again just gives me complete goosebumps. What a victory. But that does bring us to this week's question. Now, since the formation of the Premier League, there are six players that have played for both Bournemouth and Liverpool. So the first match in the Premier League was August 1992. So since then, six players have donned both a Liverpool and a Cherry shirt. But can you name them? Good luck. Sammy, good one. Nice to hear, firstly, the goal again from Aki and more excitement against the Reds. But mm, I did a quick tally up and I'm up to four players that have played for Liverpool and the Mighty Cherries. So I'm going to be keep scratching my head for the rest of the show for those last two. And maybe you, listener, will also be. But uh, yeah, keep thinking about it and... Um, yeah, mull it over together with the beautiful thoughts of the result at Anfield tonight. But before that, we're just going to wind back a few days and report on events from the El Clasicoast at St. Mary's. And the man with the magic pen and the beautiful voice is Michael Dunn. On Saturday evening at St Mary's, we took a point in a goalless draw which pre-match would have been acceptable, but felt like something of a disappointment come the final whistle. Post-game comments largely appeared to indicate that it was a relatively dull game in which the home team had the upper hand, but I can't say I saw it like that from my seat in the Northam stand. The opposition shaded the first half, but it was a far better performance by the Cherries than the opening 45 minutes on our last visit to St Mary's. For once, we were happy to allow our opponents the ball but they were unable to make their dominance of possession count for much. Jay Rodriguez and Dejan Tadic came closest to breaking the deadlock, but neither was able to make their chances count, blazing wide or being caught offside. Rodriguez did draw a superb save from Artaboris late in the opening period, his clean strike on the half volley being poured away by our big pole at full stretch, and Tadic saved the outside of the post with a curling strike from Grange. 
At the other end of the pitch, Dan Gosling fired just over Fraser Forster's bar when Andrew Sermon failed to connect with the ball by millimetres after Steve Cook had headed Ryan Fraser's cross into the midfielder's path inside the six-yard box. Despite my seeing our first-half performance through cherry-tinted glasses, rumours emerging from the away dressing room suggest that at half-time Eddie Howe, who I'm told may know more about football than me, was on the verge of throwing the teacups as he ragged the players out for what he saw as a lack of desire to take responsibility for what was happening on the pitch. Seconds after the second half kicked off, Andrew Sermon, who had twisted his knee when attempting to stab the ball past Forster before half-time, was withdrawn for Harry Arter. This brought our occasionally frustrating sideways passing strategy to an end, and we soon looked noticeably more purposeful. Now I for one am reluctant to make any negative comments about the home fans at St Mary's, but upon seeing our number 8 enter the pitch, one of their number came to the conclusion that this was an open invitation and appeared from the crowd to race somewhat unsteadily into the penalty area where he proceeded to take a selfie with Forster before a short game of chase with a couple of stewards ended in his high-vis jacket bundle and undoubtedly the prize of a lengthy ban from the stadium. When that sideshow came to an end, something perhaps even more inexplicable occurred in the self-same 18-yard box. Josh King, who had been tightly marked throughout, flicked the ball past Maya Yoshida and unselfishly played the ball to the unmarked Benikafobe eight yards from goal. Afobe had not made the most of the acres of space afforded to him, but still had plenty of time to control the ball and put the cherries in front. Instead, he attempted to use the outside of his right foot to take the pace off King's pass, and this clumsy touch meant he had no choice but to shoot with his weaker left. This was still no excuse for what followed as, with the goal gaping and the away end already beginning to erupt, the Congolese somehow steered the ball wide of the post when it looked easier to score. This miss could have sucked all the confidence from Eddie Howe's men, but instead turned out to be something of a catalyst for us to take control of the final 30 minutes. Ryan Fraser, who had had a quiet game thus far, suddenly sprang into life racing down the middle into the opposition penalty area before a desperate tackle by Yoshida saw the ball bounce to Adam Smith 20 yards from goal. Smudger unleashed a fierce effort and had started to raise his arms in celebration when the ball bounced back off the post. Our luck appeared to be in when the rebound fell straight to Mark Pugh who looked certain to score with a first time shot but chose to control the ball, a strategy which backfired when his first touch let him down and Forster just about got hold of the ball. Eddie could see we were turning the screw and looked to take advantage of our momentum by introducing Jack Wilshire for Josh King. The withdrawal of the Norwegian was met with some surprise by the Cherry Nation, but it proved to be an astute decision which almost won us the game. Our magic-hatted Loney waltzed forward before sending a pass into the box which was deflected into the path of Fraser. From the away end it then looked as if Nathan Redmond threw the wee man to the turf, but television replays suggest it was somewhat less clear-cut. Either way, the spot kick was awarded by puzzled-looking referee Jonathan Moss, giving us a golden opportunity for our first ever win at the home of our nearest but not quite dearest. Talk around Dean Court has it that Eddie and his squad are operating a rotation policy to penalty takers, and after a Phobian King had gone to the rear of the queue after missing against West Ham, Harry Arter was next in line. As the faithful held their breath behind the goal, Arter approached the ball in a manner which suggested he was preparing to blast it with the full force of his right boot. Instead, his left foot gave way on a dodgy bit of April Fool's turf, causing him to sky his effort so far over the bar that it may still not have returned to earth. It was a miss that brought Eddie Howe to his knees, but again the players did not wilt. With an eye for redemption, Arter let a left foot shot fly from 20 yards, 
which looked certain to cause me to lose my faculties had it gone in, but Forster clawed it away from the top corner of his goal and I was left with over 3,000 others to reflect on what might have been. The air of disappointment that greeted the conclusion of the game was genuine, although we were able to console ourselves with the knowledge that the point we picked up was our eighth in the past four unbeaten outings. I wouldn't swap Premier League survival for a win at St Mary's, but I would have to pause to think about the choice. All being well, we will get another chance next season. With a view of the weekend's match at St Mary's, that was Michael Dunn. And remember, you can follow Michael on Twitter at all departments. Now, we do have a number of opinions and thoughts from the game. And once again, we'll accompany them with a song of your choice. So will it be you that gets picked this week? They've been flooding in on Twitter. We'll announce that soon. But before that, as the final whistle went at St Mary's, our intrepid reporter, now you may have heard him a few weeks ago, it's Mr Harry McFletcher-Dougal. He managed to bat away BT Sports, Chris Temple, Neil Perrett, amongst many others, and he got this exclusive chat with Harry Arter and Steve Cook. I'm here with Harry Arter. Harry, obviously nobody likes to miss a penalty. What was going through your mind before you hit the ball? Well, to be honest with you there, I was uh, just thinking I might put it in the top left-hand corner. I'm sorry, Harry, that... Why, why, are you, why are you talking in that silly voice, in that accent? Well, I've been thinking about it, and supposedly the Irish are supposed to be lucky, and I've got a few caps now for Ireland, and I'm thinking maybe I should try to channel out the Irish in me to make me even luckier than I have been. Because, you know, with all the injuries and listening to the penalties and all that. Right. Um, now, Harry, obviously, you missing the penalty meant that um, you, 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 you weren't in contention for man of the match. But uh, you've got here uh, Steve Cook with you. And Steve Cook has been voted the ball of fans uh, man of the match. So would you like to give the, uh, the bottle of champagne to Steve Cook? Right, you are then. Here we are. Cookie, here's the bottle of champagne. Oh, me likey, 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 likey. Cookie, 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 cookie. Right. Well, that, that was uh, Harry Arter and Stephen Cook. Back to you, Sam. <laughs> Thank you, McFletch. Great to hear you back on the air again. And hopefully we'll hear more from our man behind the mic before the season's out. But now, what of your thoughts on the Saints game. Well, shortly you'll hear an extensive contribution from Jamie Williams and intermingled with that, we'll have sound bites from Matt from AFCB TV. We'll have George, James and Mike who contributed to the Ugly Inside and accompanying them as ever. We've got your song choices too, which this week included uh, Fat Blurk on Twitter with Somewhere Over the Rainbow. We know what you're referring to, Tony. Yeah, that's Harry Arter's penalty, as did Steve Wright with the track Slip Sliding Away from Simon and Garfunkel. But this week we go with Paul Kenwood and a song from Everything But The Girl, although he's put Everything But The Goal. Ugh, I know what you're feeling, Paul. And the track is what we did on Saturday all afternoon, Missing. Hi guys, Jamie here, reviewing the Santa Nil Bournemouth Nil from St Mary's on Saturday. And overall, to be honest, I did think we were quite a poor side. I thought Southampton were by far the better team for a long period of the game. And they had more of the ball, 
they offered more chances. We did, we were caught in between two styles. We we were sat back to try and counter attack, and we were trying to press with two strikers on their own, where they didn't press adequately. And it's far too easy for, to go from the back third or their 18-yard box to our 18-yard box. I've said it before, we we are too easy to play against in that respect. We don't know how to defend adequately in the centre of the park. A bit lacking up front, wasn't it? I think we had a few chances there where we could have put the ball away. Uh, obviously, penalty. Uh, Bennett missed a sitter, didn't he? But um, I didn't even see the penalty because I had my hands in my head because I knew we were going to miss it. I just knew it. But not being defeatist, but we don't score goals like that. We score goals from open play. Hey, hey up. Hello, yeah. Nah, to be fair, nil-nil. We'll take the one point. At the end of the day, all we want is to sustain Premier League uh, status, and that's what we're trying to do. But nil-nil, it's kind of disappointing because we should have won it. I thought you guys were better in the first half. I think you should have been 1-0 up. I love Bournemouth. That was the worst penalty I've ever seen. (laughs) We've got no-one like Romeo who can put a tackle in or understand where to be, how to cut out these passes, to cover players like when pressing the ball rather than pressing the ball but have no one in their cover shadow behind them. Um, we don't do that adequately and I thought we were quite lucky to get a clean sheet to be honest. If they had better players like Gabbiadini or Austin or someone fit, we would have struggled and we will struggle. We were lucky to keep a clean sheet but we have got two clean sheets in a row going into Wednesday, so hopefully we can pick up some sort of points in the next three. I'm not very confident. It really comes into perspective that our finishing weren't up to scratch that game, and neither were Southampton's, and it can have a look at the into account. In the first half, that really, they could have been up four, four, three or four goals. In the second half, we could have scored three or four goals. But neither team took the opportunities um, they got during the game. I do think we should have won the game in the end because Afobi had that chance and that's what the two strikers does give you, it occupies the centre-back. Not that they did it enough, but you always got that kind of threat. And sometimes when we do have five in, in, in the mid, well, three in the middle, five in the middle of the park, we uh, do struggle to create chances at times. But I do think you can't bench Wilshire. I think he's too good to not get in our side. He's getting a better side than us. And I think you've seen that when he come on. He, he showed genuine quality. And the only real chances, other than that a phobia one, which was a mistake from their centre-back, come from us playing higher up the pitch, getting more of the ball, getting a bit more of a platform, having that extra man in midfield, having more control and then that's where our chances come from. And I do think when we play the better side, we found out a lot last season that they will control the ball, and if we don't have that extra man, they will play through us even easier. And we do need them, uh, Wilshire, to play in the next three especially. I play him all the time, because he, he, he shouldn't really be with us. He's better than what we have, and he, shouldn't, he definitely shouldn't be on the bench. But... Point gained in terms of our uh, record there, and hopefully get something in the next couple. Up the cherries, see you at Anfield.
Up the cherries to you too, Jamie, and thanks for everyone for contributing to the fan thoughts. And I especially like George's contribution. Uh, George, I think he may have been on the the beers. I mean, what did you say? Oh, hey, hey up. Hello, yeah. Nah. Uh, sorry? Oh, hey, hey up. Hello, yeah. Nah. Huh? Oh, hey, hey up. Hello, yeah. Nah. Ah, of course. Hey, hey up. Hello, yeah. Nah. Makes perfect sense. So I think most of us are in agreement that we'd have been happy with a point before the game, but then after it, uh, maybe not so. So, Sean, have you have you got anything to add after that performance of the weekend? Yeah, odd, odd, like people saying odd performance, so flat and pedestrian, and then suddenly, yeah, we've got a foe ban. I still don't understand how he missed that. Oh. And then the penalty. Do you know that the soon as I saw Harry... I actually turned to Tash and said he's going to put it over the bar. Now, I know the pitch. People are blaming the pitch, but I don't know. Harry's a smasher. Mm. I want somebody who's a bit more of a placer. So I was a bit frustrated. But, yeah, what could have been, I guess. But do you know what, Sam? I don't really care anymore because after watching the game this morning, can we just move on to that game? Four points. We've got four points from Liverpool. Can we move on? Yes. Hang on a minute. What am I asking? It's I'm on this show as well. We will move on. Now, as we said, Michael Dunn could not do the match report for Liverpool because last reports, I believe he was spotted dancing naked around Bournemouth Square with nothing but a Bournemouth <laughs> flag to hide his modesty. A massive Bournemouth flag. So instead, we've got Sam... We don't have a uh, pre-recorded jingle. We know some people love these jingles. So, Sammy, I'm just going to do it live. Sam's match report. Sam's match report. Sam's match report. Sam's match report. Here it is. Bournemouth lined up against the red half of Merseyside tonight in a match which many predicted would see a changed lineup and changed formation, as we faced the might of top four chasing Liverpool at Anfield. However, the team that was produced at 7pm contained more changes than expected, with both Harry Arter and Jack Wilshire starting the match at the expense of Andrew Sermon, who it seems is going to struggle to feature again this season but also Dan Gosling, who he also learned was out of action. So this left last week's maligned striker Benica Fobe starting again alongside top scorer Josh King. The Blues, as we eventually called ourselves today, not the Ghost Greens, as originally announced, started the game in a very positive style. We were assured on the ball and defensively looking sound. Our European Cup winning counterparts, however, not so, as it took seven minutes before Boscombe, much to the amazement of nearly everyone in the stadium, including the away fans, took the lead from a dodgy Wijnaldum back pass which stopped short of reaching Mignolet before Benekafobe stole in to poke the ball home to the keeper's left shoulder, making it 1-0 to the away side. Now, the aforementioned villain nearly managed to atone for his earlier error, with a stinging shot which Borridge managed to save, and with Origi also missing what looked like a sitter at the far post, it felt like it was going to be a long old stint until half-time. 
To say that we were hanging on, though, is perhaps a tad mendacious of me, as the Cherries did carve out chances of our own, including a Josh King effort on the counter which whistled over the bar, but more agonisingly, a left-footed Mark Pugh effort which came as the result of a corner where he found himself free at the far post to drill the ball just the wrong side. But... A match against Liverpool wouldn't be the same if we didn't get some kind of retaliation and we certainly got that towards the end of the half as the Merseyside powerhouse went all Gillingham on us with a big kick up front from Mignolet, a flick from Origi, a stuttering through ball from Firmino and then a composed finish after working out his feet from Philip Coutinho which made it one all at Anfield. So the second half saw Liverpool start as they ended the first with some territorial possession which had the Cherries with their backs to the walls and the atmosphere spiked just after half-time when Nathaniel Klein rasped the ball from distance towards goal with Arta Boric providing a momentous touch with his fingertips as he managed to touch it onto the bar. A stunning strike. The improved atmosphere seemed to be just what the doctor ordered for Jurgen Klopp and the 50,000 inside Anfield as the Reds continued to assert their dominance and after failing to make amends in the first half, Wijnaldum then decided to grasp the game by the scruff of the neck as on 58 minutes he picked up the ball on the left after a series of failed defensive clearances and managed to get to the byline in order to dink the ball across onto the head of Divock Origi who could do nothing apart from nod the ball into the roof of the Bournemouth net. Now as the game continued, Cherries were less swashbuckling and a bit more wishy-washy as the early confidence seemed to be quickly replaced with an incessant fear as Liverpool controlled the game with relative ease. Apart from a marauding Charlie Daniels run and cross down the left which unfortunately didn't find its intended target, well, no one was in the box, the away team couldn't find any inroads through the wall of red with Liverpool's defensive line being resilient as ever. As the game wore on, to Bournemouth's credit though, they stuck to their guns and whilst the chances weren't as forthcoming as the away fans would have hoped, Liverpool didn't exactly get any killer chances barring a Lovren overhead kick which the big pole easily gathered. Now, Eddie Howe, after replacing earlier Jordan Ibe with Ryan Fraser, on 82 minutes decided to bring on Max Gradle at the expense of Mark Pugh and Within what seemed like a few moments, our Ivorian was in the thick of the action as a good spell of possession resulted in Bournemouth getting a throw-in on the left. With Cookie launching into the box, the ball was cleared, but only as far as Harry Arter, who shot low towards goal. However, instead of troubling Mignolet as intended, it found the feet of Josh King, who stood up, was strong, and turned his defender to stroke home into the corner of the net, making it 2 all. And that's how the game ended. Bournemouth managing to get a point when at one point we were only four points away from relegation tonight. But after that result at Anfield and with Chelsea visiting on Saturday, anything is possible. What a result. Well, firstly, well done, Sam, on uh, pulling a rabbit out of the hat so quickly there and getting that match report done minutes after the game. And so, Sam, I'm going to ask you, um, obviously, we knew Sermon was going to be out and apparently could be done for the season, but the Gosling injury, not so much. So with the lineup, what were your thoughts on the three changes? Yeah, it was quite an interesting one, really. Um, uh, 
Jordan Ibe over Ryan Fraser. I mean, I know Ryan Fraser wasn't amazingly effective against Southampton. However, maybe Eddie Howe put him in there because he thought he could sort of show Liverpool what they've missed out on. Uh, as it turns out, not much. But um, in terms of uh, Dan Gosling's omission, apparently he picked up a knock uh, at St Mary's, which I wasn't really aware of. So Jack Wilshire came in and, uh, yeah, it was going to be interesting to see him play alongside Harry Arter, must admit, I thought Eddie Howe was going to go with a 4-5-1, but not so. Yeah, and I think if Gosling had been fit, I think that probably would have been a stronger case for uh, Wilshire coming in, possibly Bennett making way and, and going to that three in the middle. Or, you know, Eddie does look at it and go, well, we're on this great run. This is the formation that we've been on. And, you know, if with Gosling out, it probably would have meant what Lewis Cook coming in as well for a start if he was going to go with the four five one. So I don't know. Maybe fate dictated a little bit around the shape. But um, I mean, inside the first seven minutes, well, I love four four two. Oh, that was superb, wasn't it? And uh, well, it, yes, it was a defensive mistake. But you know, Benny Kafobe could a really composed finish. But when he picked up the ball. What I would do is I would try to round the keeper and put it in with my left foot. But <laughs> he took he took it really early, and that really surprised me. And I think, in a way, it may have surprised Mignolet as well, because most strikers, I think, the majority of them would probably try to take it round and then just tap it into an empty net. But he took it nice and early, and how pleased were you for Benick? Oh, I know. It, it was, again, it was what he needed wasn't it you know like he'd to be fair he'd actually charged down Mignolet a couple of minutes before and they were looking a bit edgy they were misplacing their passes at the back and yeah I think uh, Mignolet had to do a, a Mark Pugh not not a not a Cruyff turn a Pew turn um, to yeah. get out of trouble and um, yeah and then suddenly there's this back pass you can tell how much Mignolet didn't expect it by his awful positioning I mean if you look back he's so far across his goal that there was a gaping gap there for Benick and yeah really composed finish tucked it away and there's this brilliant photo I saw was just doing the rounds on Twitter which is um because of course no other Bournemouth players were near Benick because Arter had done the heavy push but retreated and he's just celebrating on his own I mean that's pretty special in front of a cop I mean what a moment and yeah it was it was all rosy and we were actually were both watching the same commentary weren't we with with the Awful, awful Jamie Carragher, who, uh, I mean, referenced as soon as the goal went in, basically was was putting us in the same camp as Burnley, I think. He was like, right, that's it. Bournemouth are going to shut up shop now and they're going to sit back and, and whatever. And it's like, I don't know, have you not seen us play, you know? And um, Charlie Adams at left back, apparently, as well, putting a, a couple of great crosses into the box. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, being in the UK, uh, the only match that was on was the BT Sport one, so Chelsea v Man City. So there was the, there was no way of me watching it, Sean. So um, I was there listening to my wireless um, with Chris Temple. No, I may have I may have found a way to watch it, but yeah, I felt that um, Jamie Carragher was quite patronising. And you know what? I've heard Gary Neville co-commentate a few times on Sky Sports, and he actually manages to be fairly impartial to his credit but Jamie Carragher just cannot do that whatsoever as much as he tries you can you can hear him audibly get excited when Liverpool uh, score or whatever and his his tone 
completely changed in the Bournemouth game. And I did love this moment that happened. It was only uh, sort of 15 minutes in or so. I think it was Origi or something. He um he elbowed Adam Smith, was it, or something like that? I can't. Yes. I can't uh, Harry, no, Harry, Harry Arter. Oh, yeah. it was it was Harry Arter. Sorry, my uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics. I must have translated that wrong. But um, Carrigan came out and said, "I don't think it was an elbow. It's just something that comes out at times to protect yourself, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Like it's just <laughs> something that comes out at times to protect yourself. What you mean, an elbow, Jamie? What's he it's all about?" <laughs> It's like when you're at the bar, you know, Jamie Carragher's at the bar and someone's trying to muscle in to get his beer. Bang, the elbow comes out. Sorry, son, it's just what happens. It was, yeah, it was just odd, wasn't it? Just myself. Yeah, yeah, that's all it was. But it was, yeah, it was an interesting, like, possession-wise, um, the stat came up after 30-odd minutes. And I think at that point, we were about 27% of possession, which um, was pretty, um, pretty low even by our standards. But there was... You know, uh, defensively, I've got to give credit. I mean, Steve Cook, wow, and mm. Frano, just uh, the back pair were, were really solid tonight. But there was that chance um, for Wijnaldum where I think it was a corner had come in and then it come out to the end of the box and he'd kind of hit it on the half volley. And Boric got down and made the save. And you could have just seen that as pretty straightforward. It was kind of down the middle and whatever. But if you watch it, especially from behind the goal, there is such a crowd of people, and if you if you play goalkeeper, you've probably done training sessions where you you do this where there's a crowd in front of you. So you bring in the the, or the subs, the guys that are just the water carriers, and you go right, come and stand on this penalty spot. You stand on the six yard box, whatever, and then you get your coach to smash balls at you. But you've got to get low, and you've got to move to right and left to try and see the ball. And you watch Burrett's technique there. He he goes left, he goes right, keeps his eye on it, and makes a good solid save um yeah i just wanted to make reference to that and and obviously later on we'll talk about the big pole as well but it was other than that though we were i think our shape we were holding very very well um without dominating the ball but we still had chances and mark Pugh with that volley uh, the the fact it went so close my initial reaction was to be really frustrated that he didn't stick it away when you look at it, if he'd have volleyed that into row Z of the cop, you'd have been like, oh, it was a bit of a tricky chance. The fact he got it so close, I don't know, it made it look like, oh, Pui, you should be sticking that away. But that's, that's some skill to be able to get the ball like that, eh? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think Pew almost hit it too well. And it's, it was only just the angle at, at what Mark Pugh's sort of body was because he hit it so cleanly. And you know, technically, it was a fantastic strike. However, if his if his body was at a slightly different angle, it may have gone in. But he hit it so cleanly and so well. Um, I, you know, yes, Carragher was saying he really should be hitting the target there. I'm not going to uh, do the Scouse <laughs> accent again. But, uh, you know, he said that for an earlier chance for Origi too. So um, I don't think it was that much of an easy chance. Pew didn't think that ball was going to reach him, surely. But anyway, it did, and then it, you know he didn't have that much time to sort of prepare his feet. And when he did, it was a, it was a nice, clean strike. Um, and then, of course, uh, Josh King had a chance as well too, Sean. Yeah, again on a breakaway, I think it was Frano with the advanced pass, as we we call it here on back of the net. No long balls. This isn't Gillingham's podcast. But he found himself, um, he had two Liverpool defenders with him. He's driving into the box. 
he actually had when he shot. I was like, I don't shoot from there, but it just dipped over the bar. It was pretty close. Although I don't know, it's easy in hindsight. Benick was yes a bit fur back, but was yeah. wide open. And what I would have loved to seen if this was you know if this was virtual reality and I'm in control of the players here, I'd have been doing a Cruyff turn, a pew turn. Sorry from King one either he'd have been taken out and it's a penalty or if he manages to turn those defenders he'd roll it across and yeah. as we all know people when you know when King rolls the ball to a Benick and he's clear on goal on the penalty <laughs> spot there's only one result yeah in my mind I was thinking uh of the first match we had when we won away so what was that last season that was a uh, West Ham uh, where we won 4-3 and there was a chance at the end of the first half where I can't remember who it was I think Callum Wilson had the ball and he actually did manage to square it and it met Maxi Gradle who got a shot on goal and that would have made it 3-0 to Bournemouth at the time and uh, at the time I just saw Benick like marauding forward and oh, it was such a shame but you know fair play to Josh King obviously he's a confident lad and he'll never not take a chance that's the sort of one good thing you got to say about Josh King. And yeah, un- unfortunate with the shot there. But Liverpool did get back into it. And as I referenced in the match report, there was an element of sort of Jilly, Jilly Long Ball stroke Wimbledon about it, wasn't there? Because it was, a, you know, the big hoof from Mignolet and then, what is it, a flick on and then a touch forward. And then it met Coutinho. And, you know, as Coutinho was striking it, Adam Smith was just there on his knees. I'm not not really sure what happened, but credit to Coutinho because he did have to sort his feet out quite a bit in a way similar to what Benick did at home to Swansea. But he managed to sort himself out and then uh, right-footed it to the right of Art Boric to make it one all. And uh, I mean, what were your feelings at that point at one all? Yeah, it was just it was a really well taken goal, wasn't it? I mean, Coutinho's made a great run. He's gone through Frano and Smithy. Possibly should he be allowed that little channel to run through? Uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty tough to do that. And Smithy knew, I think, that he couldn't fully commit to the challenge because he was going to bring him down. And who knows what the referee would have given aside from the penalty. And so it was it was a slightly half-assed type tackle, I think. But like you said, it was. It was very Afobe-esque. Got his feet sorted, put it in the corner. And it was... When you play in the Premier League and when you play against these top teams, you know there's there's moments of absolute quality that can undo you. And I think, to be fair, that was one of them. But you didn't feel like, oh, that's it now. The game's gone. It yeah. wasn't that kind of game, was it? Where, as Jamie Carragher said, it would be that we're just going to try and hold on for a 1-0, you know, and then our plan's kind of unravelled and there's no plan B or C or whatever we're up to. But... Having said that, so close to half time, it would have been nice to go in at half time, still one up. But yeah, felt felt okay, felt okay. Mm, but then the second half started, and you know Liverpool did seem to be uh, dominant, and then confidence was running through their veins so much so that Nathaniel Klein had an effort from from distance, and at the time. I thought, blimey, you know, what a strike that was. But, you know, when you see the replay, when you see Boric getting his fingertips on it to, you know, tip it onto the bar and then, you know, had he not done that, that 100% would have gone in. I, I was surprised that Klein took the effort, but what a save that was. But I've got to say, incredible strike too. Yeah, two two words for that. Wonder save. Mm. Just absolutely fantastic. I can watch that all day on slow-mo, Fingers up, 
bang, pushes it onto the bar. I mean, otherwise, you're right, that's a goal. And suddenly we're down early and, you know, potentially all over. But oh, the big pole, what what a turnaround from, not, not here on this show, but in fairly large circles of Bournemouth fans slagging him off and whatever, to then pick up, what, player of the month and, and pull out some of the saves he's been making. Fair play. Good yeah. Idea. Absolutely brilliant. But however, the kind of red wave uh, did eventually penetrate. And uh, yeah, it was Origi with that header. And, you know, well, Aldum, I think, uh, you know, he did as well to sort of uh, make up his his mistake earlier with a lovely little dinked cross. And he couldn't really miss from there, to be honest. But yes, yeah, they did go 2-1 up. But I mean, it never felt like game over, did it? Whereas maybe, you know, other games previously in the season during our bad spell or even last season, it would be 2-1 and we think, right, there's no way we're going to do this now. But, you know, what was your thoughts at 2-1? Were you, you know, in a similar vein, Sean? Yeah, and the, the odd thing that then happened in this game of, a slightly bizarre game of football, was Jurgen Klopp made what seemed like a bizarre substitution. He took off Coutinho and he brought on Matip and he went to... A three-five-two. So you've taken off one of your best players, who the stats at half-time continue had had so many touches of the ball in the first half, let alone this, the time he was on in the second half. You've taken him off. You've brought on another centre back to go three centre backs, so th- with five across the middle. When, as you say, it just it felt like Liverpool were pretty comfortable. Yeah, we were still in it and whatnot, and maybe we would have changed our shape to try and push on a bit more and then you could counter counter that I don't know but it was just Carragher had said that that Klopp had mentioned about with Mane and other players attacking players now out we might have to win games in a different way and it was almost like he was sticking to that mantra by changing for the sake of it because it was noticeable that once the shape had changed all of a sudden we started getting the ball. And I think, again, the stats had come up just before we he'd made that change. In that second half, we only had 22% possession. So we'd had 27 in the first half. It was down to 22%. And we love keeping hold of the ball. And then changed the shape. We made some subs as well. But, you know, and obviously Fraser came on for, for I. But it was more just we just started to get the ball and we started they didn't press us as as much as they as they were jack started to be a little bit more influential and we started moving it side to side and yeah i i'm if i was a liverpool fan i would i would be baffled by that change yeah certainly now speaking of jordan ibe and some contrasting views from people on twitter scott talbot superb half he's talking about the first half from 10 players Jordan Ibe looks like he's won a competition to play. Um, Cherry Red 72 said that was 60 minutes of Ibe showing Liverpool fans what they already know. He's inconsistent and not very good. Um, but then Patrick Robbins, uh, in contrast, says it isn't fair that we aren't giving Ibe a chance. £15 million and he barely plays. Such a waste of a talent. But yeah, he did go off and uh, Fraser came on. And again, Jamie Carragher slightly patronising, saying um, he doesn't think he's done enough to sort of warrant a sort of regular first-team slot, whereas Ryan Fraser has won more penalties than anyone else in the Premier League this season, despite having not played every game. So, I don't know, Jamie, uh, not not too keen on your commentary style, but, 
you know, another one of the substitutions, of course, as I said in the match report, was Maxi Gradle uh, coming on for Mark Pugh, and he got in the thick of the action straight away. Yeah, and it was it was funny with Pugh because I think Pugh played really well, but there was a ball played down the line in the 80th minute, I think it was, for Pugh to chase, and it was like his feet were like covered in tar. It was painful watching how slow he was. And you could just make out Eddie and JT at the bottom of the screen. And you could see Eddie turn to JT. And you couldn't see the words, but it would have been, yeah, I think he's done. Because <laughs> after that, they turned around and were like, right, Maxie, get, get yourself ready. And I mean, great shift from Pew. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not having a dig at him. But, you know, it, it was time. And that was kind of, it showed that we needed a bit of freshness there. Part of me was wondering, were we going to see Lewis Cook come on and was King going to come out wide to replace Pugh? And then will we go three in the middle and maybe just push Jack a little bit forward or Lewis a bit forward and see how that went? But, um, you know, I don't get paid the big bucks to manage in the Premier League. Eddie Howe does. And um, that's why when... You know, you thought we were going to have some chances and Liverpool were getting deeper and you, I don't know. It, it, do you know, Sammy, it, so much so, I was, I'm not going to say I was confident we were going to score, but as we won that throwing out wide and as Cookie went to pick the ball up, I thought, I'm going to document this moment. So I reached over, I grabbed my phone, went no to way. my voice note, I hit record and, well, just, you know what happens, but... Just have a little listen. This was a little slice of life in Wellington, New Zealand, watching Bournemouth play against Liverpool. Here you go. Come on, Cookie. Big throw. Steve Cook with a throw. Get there, get there, get there. Get there. Go on. Go on. Yes! That is one excited chappy, Sean. Uh, you've you've put my celebration of the Boric penalty save to shame with that. Um, you even upset young Sky there. It sounded sounded like she wasn't happy with your whooping. No, she she'd kind of lost a bit of interest in the game and was walking around with this blanket, and she wanted me to put it over my legs, and she could be a tunnel, and she was very unhappy that the tunnel erupted and was running around the living room screaming the house down. But uh, just just everything about that goal, it was the fact that it was a long throw, so you always think there's going to be a chance. The fact that Liverpool still sat so deep, like once, when it first got cleared, when the first header came back out, you know, surely defensively they should be looking to push high and they didn't. And then Charlie had a mishit shot and then it comes back and then Harry either a, a sublime pass to Joshua King or another misplaced shot. But Josh picks it up, I think, defence far too deep, like they should have pushed out. But again, you talk about footwork and especially footwork of strikers and he just manages to roll. He gets just a second to take that shot. And oh, goosebumps, Sammy, take over. I've got to go running around the room again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, it was absolutely brilliant. And what um, what was quite funny again was that you know the momentum that uh, that Bournemouth had as we built up to that goal. You some you sometimes sense something's going to happen, and Steve Cook's throwing was in exactly the same position as what it was in the home match at Dean Court, where we scored in the whatever it was ninety first, ninety second minute. So I did think something was going to happen, but wow, absolutely superb. And yeah, I was um, I was over the moon with that. Uh, just mentioning Steve Cook, though. I mean, what a performance that he put in. I mean, all of them, you know, defensively did really well. I think if there was a weak one, I think Adam Smith maybe had a few suspect moments. But there was this moment, um, I can't remember if actually it was before or after the goal, but Steve Cook just plucked this ball out of the air. There was a long searching ball forward from Liverpool and Steve <laughs> Cook was on the, um, was on, well, was near Charlie Daniels on the left and he was facing towards his own goal and I thought you know what's he going to do now is he just going to head it out of play or is he going to try to take it down and he just does this sublime touch and just lobs it over the Liverpool attacker and finds Charlie Daniels and we move forward again it was just the confidence throughout the team was just exceptional but I mean what a game it was Ross Devonport, Boric, Cook and Francis were immense. Wilshire, he says, was dire. Uh, class almost made the difference, but we just about deserved the draw. So, I mean, can I ask you your thoughts on Jack's position today? And what did you think of him and his performance? Yeah, I think a bit, bit harsh there, Rosh. A bit dire, as he would have said. Um, yeah. But, no, I think... I mean, in terms of that position with, with Harry, I think they both work their socks off. And a lot of time they work their socks off without the ball. Because when you looked at the shape that we had, we looked pretty rock solid. And they were minimising the amount of space in between the midfield and our centre-backs. So they were sitting deeper. But I think in tandem, for me, I think they worked really, really well. On the ball, I think Jack started to get into it. Yeah, a couple of times he lost it, but there were a couple of his great driving runs where he, if nothing else, he just took the Liverpool momentum away when we weren't getting much possession. There were some times when he got the ball and he he managed to kind of wiggle out of two or three players. And the other thing I think Jack does, and he did really well, is from around that 74, 77 minutes when we were kind of pretty comfortable on possession, I felt like he was being, he was the conductor of the orchestra. You could see he was pointing when it was, you know, Smithy back to Frano. Now you switch it. There was a lot of that going on. So, yeah, no, I'm going to stick up for Jack there. I think, um, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't a game where he's getting to put through balls on the edge of the box. I think we saw a different side of him and I think he wanted to work and he did work. So, yeah. Mm, and uh, we also had Mike Bowman. Mike, uh, thanks for tweeting in. He watched the match in Dayton, Ohio and tweeted in to say he was reading others' tweets and following it via Twitter and social media. And he said it was agonising, but what a great effort for the lads. A huge point to get away at Anfield. Now, um, you've got a friend, have you, Sean, called Andrew, who's a Liverpool supporter. Um, you've been communicating with him tonight, I gather. Yeah, so Andrew is the he runs the Wellington Liverpool Supporters Club, and um, for past Bournemouth games, there's been a couple of bars in town that we talked about this this before, but they uh, they open up to show certain Liverpool games, and they get a few bit of, bit of a crowd down there, and I've been to a couple of those, and unfortunately, this one well was seven a.m. kickoff, so yeah, the pubs weren't open, but we'd been having a little bit of pre-match chatting about the uh, the game. And Andrew's fairly confident, but um, 
he was saying, though, that he would have taken a draw as long as we get top four. That was his comments before the game. So, of course, you know, I like to let things lie and not, you know, get digs in when I can. So, I'm, no, it's rubbish. I did send a tweet saying, well done, mate. Your lads managed to hold on for the point you wanted. He wasn't very happy. FFS was the start of his reply. I, I'll have to ask one of the kids to translate FFS. But, um, mm. yeah, wasn't very happy. Um, felt it was, it was, yeah, I can't even say the next word either. Oh, this is, this is just for Alex Deutsch. We're not allowed to swear on the show. But uh, his points were they could have gone clear of City. Now they can catch us and Arsenal can go above us. Don't do it the easy way. And that's at Klopp Goff. So, yeah, Andrew Goff there, not very happy but did get the point that he thought, you know, it was a tough game against a, you know, a massive AFC Bournemouth side. <laughs> it certainly was. Now, we got a few puns in on uh, Twitter. So, Kerry Davis Phillips, she uh, tweeted in saying, cop that clop. Very good. Uh, we had a tweet from Marmon Runehouse who said, Anfield, fit for a king. And we had Steve Wright, Klopp cops it again as King steals a point for the Cherries. Absolutely superb stuff. Well, we'll end this piece with a little bit of a song before we move on to Chelsea. We had a couple of song suggestions and one of which was a prefab sprout with the king of rock and roll. But But the winner this week, we'll give you about 15 seconds of the song. The Thompson Twins, King for a Day. And that one was Steve Wright. Well done, Steve. Frank Rowling and you're listening back of the net. Okay, so as we said, we are recording this directly after the game at Anfield. So it's Wednesday night in the UK, Thursday morning here in New Zealand. And there was uh, the rest of the Premier League fixtures because they've all played over the last two days. And just to run through where we are in the table, we are 13th, played 31 with 35 points. The bottom three, there's... Sunderland, goodbye, in 20th on 20. Middlesbrough, goodbye, 23 points in 19th. And then Swansea dropped into the bottom three on 28 points. So five, six, seven points below us because Hull have pulled off a big 4-2 victory at home to Middlesbrough, which that could be the result, I think, that says goodbye to Middlesbrough. But yeah, Hull are pushing. Crystal Palace, who were on a bit of a crest of the wave after beating uh, Chelsea, they came unstuck against our friends down the road, Southampton. 3-1 home win for the Saints. So you've got to say Palace is still very much in the mix. And then following them, you've got West Ham on 33 points, Burnley on 35 level with us. And then looking upwards, I mean, what? Saints are ninth on 37, just two points ahead of us. So it's been... An interesting few weeks in the Premier League and some teams below us have really seemed to have fallen away. Sunderland sealed their own fate. Middlesbrough look, were kind of teetering but now look down. And then, yeah, a bit of resurgence. But, Sammy, you've got to feel we're probably far enough away. Um, 
definitely help with the point tonight. But then let's turn our attention now to the weekend and the next match coming up. Yeah, that's right. So we're live on BT Sport once again. It's a 5.30 kickoff here in the UK as we face Chelsea, who are fresh, as you say, from their 2-1 home victory against Manchester City. Now, Eden Hazard scored a couple of goals, sandwiching a strike from Sergio Aguero. So uh, Chelsea's form has been has been good. Well, they're top of the league and they're flying. However, obviously in the last match, Crystal Palace, that was... Quite a freak result, really, because I, you know, I saw the highlights. I actually saw a bit of the game live as well, and Chelsea were just peppering, just peppering the Crystal Palace goal. But yeah, it it's going to be an interesting match. I mean, we're going to be going four four two again, I presume, um, which surely means there's going to be goals. I mean, no one's going to be putting nil nil on this, Sean. Yeah, I don't, interesting. Yeah, are we going to play four four two again? I mean, when, when we went to Stamford Bridge, we didn't, did we? We matched them up with the three at the back formation, and yeah, I don't know. I still think maybe there's an inkling that we might try and tinker and do that again. I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent that we'll stick, or maybe we will. But then we could get. I don't know. It's 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 a. It's so tough to know, isn't it? But I think the f- yeah, go on. Yeah, I mean, you might you might be right. I just I'm just thinking, how on earth are we going to stop Hazard? I mean, he is a hazard in itself, but the way he's been playing at the moment, I mean, he's he's just a different player. I can't understand how last season he was so sort of um, up and down. Well, he was poor last season, and all of a sudden, under a new manager, he's just. He's just incredible for Chelsea. He's so natural on the ball. How on earth are we going to stop him, Sean? Yeah, that's what we need a player just to stick on him, don't we? Just to run around the park and kick him like the good old days. I mean, yeah. would you I mean, would you say Jack is that player? No. No. I think, you know, again it's there's that there's that difficult thing between playing your own game and then totally changing everything you do just for the sake of one player you need to be super aware of him of course and they'll be analyzing and making decisions on you know uh, do we dive in on him do we not you know Arta very often loves to do a press where it's a really aggressive press where he really goes and he it's a gamble between he wins the ball or if he doesn't he's out of position does he not do that as much against Hazard because you go well the chances are he's going to get past you so hold your shape keep tight do we switch to the five in the middle so that there is a bit more pressure of having three midfielders in there. But, you know, Gosling's a good player to play in in that kind of role, that disrupting role. We don't know how bad his injury is. So if he's back, I don't know. I still feel like if he's back, the money could be on him coming back into the side. If he's not... Yeah, do we... Yeah, it's a a tough one to know what what to do. I mean, it's... There is an element of me which feels that when we we picked up the the good run and we picked up the points and you're looking at Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, there was still a part of me which was saying there's a good chance we're going to come out of these three games with no points at all. And given we picked up some points early on, it wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world. So you say, well, we've picked up a point against Liverpool. We talk about free hits in this league and sometimes you get free hits where it doesn't if you win or if you lose, it's not going to define your season. I feel like this game won't define our season. It totally could define Chelsea's season, however, because Spurs are very much on the hunt. They've demolished Swansea 3-1 tonight. And I say only, but they are seven points behind Chelsea. 
and on form. So Spurs pick up a win. If we turn over Chelsea, you know, Sir Alex would say squeaky bun, bum time. So that's the thing. It's going to be it's it's going to be a great game, I think, because they're going to come out firing. It's yeah, I don't know. I think we just go mm. for it. Well, I've got a question to you. Um, bearing in mind, there's a lot of talk about Jack Wilshere at the moment, and um, you know what he's going to be doing, where he's going to be playing next season. Um, uh, if you're Eddie Howe, would you be trying to sort of maybe butter him up by giving him some game time to maybe prompt him to make a decision to stay down on the south coast or would you be doing what's best for the team and maybe leaving him out if we have to because um i'm sure that if jack was on the bench for the rest of the season it's hardly going to make him want to sign for us is it so i'm sure eddie's maybe acutely aware at the back of his mind somewhere that he needs game time in order to perhaps maybe make him stay with us i mean do you think having jack staying with us permanently is a well is a chance is a possibility i i think eddie's pretty smart and i think eddie's got huge respect within the game and i think he it it seems like he's got huge respect from jack and jack jack seems to be a really great professional so i don't know i don't buy into that i don't think i think they would have had a lot of lengthy conversations and i think they'll continue to do around the potential of Jack staying and the role that Jack would play. I think if he, if there's any chance we could sign him, we would absolutely should be snapping the hand off. And I would see us building next season around Jack Wilshire and going, okay, you know, because he's coming to the side when we're, we're still kind of been battling and we dropped into this relegation trouble and we've had to scrap our way out. And that meant we had to change the shape. And if that means you sit on the bench, you sit on the bench. I don't feel like it's a Nicholas Anelka or a Balotelli sulking on the bench situation. It's a, this is the way the team's lined up. And when it's applicable, you'll be in. I don't know. I think you've got to imagine there'd be more signings for next year. Let's say we, we are safely in the Premier League next year. And I think we would absolutely build a side around Jack Wilshere. And I think those conversations, if they haven't already been had, and I think they would have been, they would be continuing to be had. So I actually don't, I don't think that makes any difference. I think to, to people like Martin Keown and, and Jamie Carragher who make these comments, well, if they can't get in the Bournemouth side, they can't get in the Arsenal side, which is just absolute nonsense if they actually looked at why he hasn't been playing and what he's done when he has played. Um, yeah, for me, I, I, wouldn't, I personally wouldn't read too much into that. Hmm. So as for Saturday then, are you going to make a prediction? Are you going to, uh, are you going to go optimistic or are you... I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, I'm going to say mine first, Sean, just to you know, just to put it out there. Final score, one all. It's going to be one all. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, my prediction for the uh, Liverpool game, because we didn't actually do a predictions on the show, was done via Twitter. And I, I called a champagne football 5-1 victory for Bournemouth <laughs> with uh, Phoebe getting a hat-trick. So I was kind of close. Like we, we, We'd all be drinking champagne now if it wasn't. 10.44 a.m. following a great result. But, um, oh, look, they could, they still could tear us apart. And um, oh, that's a tough one. They don't concede a huge amount of goals. So that's, I don't think it's going to be a 4-3. 2-1 Chelsea. Jack Wilshere scores his first goal and celebrates by running and signing the corner flag to symbolise he's signing a contract with us. 
Hi, I'm Michael Botto, and you're listening to Sean and Sam making some noise for the boys on Back of the Net. So it's been a very positive back of the net and I hope you've been enjoying listening and hopefully you're going to continue enjoying because uh, Sean is now going to come up with the correct answer to the do you remember that we had at the start of the show and that's where I asked you there are six players since the formation of the Premier League that have donned both the Cherries and the Liverpool shirts but could you guess what they are now Sean how many players are you up to? I'm up to five, I think, and I am desperately trying to pull the sixth one out of the bag. Um, and I, uh, Sammy, I, I don't, I would, I want to have till the end of the outro to get that sixth. But let me run through the five I've got, and you can let me know if they're okay. all correct. Okay. So here we go. Go for it. Danny Ings. Adam Lalana. Jordan Ibe. Brad Smith. David James. And there's one more. (laughs) There really is one more. You told me off air that there was one that surprised you. And have I named that one yet? No, you haven't. You uh, you off air named a couple of names from back in the seventies, I think. <laughs> but I did, um... yeah. I did. I misread the question, and I did also have Jimmy Case on my list. But uh, yeah. yeah, oh, we could have done with him against Eden Hazard at the weekend. It yeah. lasted two minutes, and that would have been it. Do you know? Uh, I, I've told, I think I've told this story in the past, but I'm going to tell it again because it still makes me laugh. I was watching. ASU Bournemouth and I was sat. It was the old Dean Court, and I was in the main stand. Got some posh posh tickets. And even even paid the extra, was it 10p, to have a cushion on my seat? And <laughs> Jimmy Case got sent off for just probably just a, a tackle. He probably would have, these days, he would have got a 10-game ban for the way he used to tackle sometimes. But as he walked off, the, uh, the, you knew it was a bad decision when the cushions would get thrown on the pitch <laughs> yes, from the oh, posh yes. seats towards the referee. The guy next to me... No joke, was eating his his pasty. So it must have just been in the second half early on. And he only had a couple of bites. And in disgust, he lobbed his pasty down onto the pitch where it sat for the rest of the game, just inside the white line on the pitch. <laughs> I absolutely love it. But Sean, I do, I do feel as though you're maybe doing some delaying tactics here. <laughs> so he is it's thinking... game management. It's it game, game management. Man. Okay, I'm going to give you a clue. And this, this may help you or may not, and may just confuse you. Um, his nationality, okay, he was Finnish. Well, he is still Finnish. <laughs> he is Finnish. Does oh, that see, that's, mean anything no, to I you? Think, I don't know. I think that might have even hurt me hard. Let, let we're going to move on with the outro, and um, <laughs> by the end, I don't. Oh, yeah, that's that's throw me. I'll keep thinking. Oh, hang on, something's just popped. No, it's not. Anyway, um, so just moving on. Just a new thing we're going to be doing uh, due to pop, popular public opinion. The puns they're out. We're getting rid of them. Gary Chapman hates them, so the puns are going to go. In its place, though, what we want you to do is during the games, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in the stands or whether you're watching on the TV, if you can get your phone 
and do a little audio recording during the game. It might be on your voice note or it could even be a video because we can take the audio off it. But I don't know, maybe there's a corner or there's a penalty or something. Or just if you're that way inclined, just get a little snippet of your audio. Email it in at fans at afcbpodcast.com and each and every week for every game, we'll pick the best one and we'll play it on the air. So that's the challenge to you, dear listener. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Now, remember that you can subscribe to our podcast via all the different mediums. We're on iTunes, we're on YouTube, but also on Audio Boom as well. So um, we've got a link in our Twitter bio, but uh, you can go to afcbpodcast.com slash audioboom. And there you can listen to all of our shows there and we can even embed them in Twitter as well. So if you've enjoyed today's show, do uh, feel free to give us a like on Facebook. Uh, so that's afcbpodcast.com slash Facebook. That'll take you to our Facebook page rather than giving you that. But yeah, um, do like, share, retweet, do what you can and spread the word about the podcast. Now, Sean, I can see you there and it, it looks like you may be doing some Googling, some rapid Googling. <laughs> he is cheating. This man I is cheating. Am. I actually am. So Google Have you got anywhere? player who is finished. I'm gonna give you here I'm gonna go. give you the countdown clock. Hang on, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Go on. Let me go. Here we go. Siri. Siri, which Finnish AFC Bournemouth player also played for Liverpool? Siri says, I couldn't find any matching games between Liverpool and Bournemouth. Okay, Sean, I'm going to put you out of your misery. The answer is going to surprise you. On the 29th of July 2010, this player made his first and only appearance for Liverpool, coming on as a substitute for Alberto Aquilani in the... 83rd minutes of the 2010-2011 uh, UEFA Europa League third qualifying round against FK Robotniki. The answer, you've Googled it. He's nodding. I have Googled is... it. I've just found it. Go on, Sean. Say the name. <laughs> Laurie Dalla Valle. <laughs> and we all loved him. We absolutely loved him. But yeah, that was one of the lists that I just didn't have a clue about. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, he never made a senior appearance for Liverpool. So that, that's, you know, they didn't even class that game as an official game by the looks of it, Sam. So I'm, I'm going to claim a slight victory, but oh, I bet there's, there's at least one listener. Plus, I know Rob Frank would have got this, who are very, very smug right now. And if you are well done, we, support, we salute you, whoever you are, if you did get all six. Yeah, I must admit, I should have known, because when we did uh, you sign him, it was the ex-Fulham striker. No one, no one mentioned Liverpool. But Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure tonight. It sure has, Sammy, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to it. And as I say, if you are making your way back from Liverpool, well done, good on you, whether it's after the game or whether it's the next day. And wherever you are in the world... Just enjoy these next few days because, oh, that was a great moment. I'll tell you what, Sammy, we're going to go out this week with the audio of that goal going in. Here it is again, and we'll be back next week for another episode of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Here we go. Come on, Cookie. Big throw. Steve Cook with a throw. Get there, get there, get there. Get there. Go on. Go on. Yes!
Social Podcast Network.